What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. We continue our series on Simon Peter, looking at a man who had a profound impact on Christianity as he walked with Jesus and spread the word for decades afterward. But we are also noticing how many times Simon Peter has messed up. He makes mistake after mistake, and yet Jesus keeps working with him, inviting him into these incredibly intimate and spiritual moments. We heard last week about Jesus taking the disciples to this remote but beautiful location, and they are able to hear for the first time that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, more than just a human being. But then we also heard about Jesus calling Peter Satan and telling him he is a stumbling block to the work God wants to do through Jesus. That is a pretty tough moment to handle, especially if you are a student of the rabbi trying to learn everything that you can from Jesus. How do you come back from such a demoralizing event? Well, with Peter, he is still this brash and bold disciple, speaking up when everyone else is silent. We are going to see it again, this time much closer to the death of Jesus. We are actually skipping several verses here as we go past one of the most incredible stories of the transfiguration of Jesus, where the disciples see for themselves the glory of Jesus. They saw with their own eyes what it means for Jesus to come into his kingdom. And now he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. Jesus heads straight there. There is a huge Passover festival where Jews from all over the country would gather to make a sacrifice and celebrate. Jesus chooses that time to enter the city. And people start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They are essentially declaring Jesus as their king. And we'll talk more about this when we get to Palm Sunday in just a couple of weeks. And over the next few days, Jesus, while he's there in the city, he declares uh, some of the most challenging teachings he has given throughout all of the Gospels. And that really angers the religious community. And it marks Jesus as the enemy of the church. Seems strange, doesn't it? Uh, It's almost as if Jesus knows what he is doing and what the challenges that he's making of the church, what that will lead to. Our passage from Matthew will be read now, where finally, uh, after the Last Supper in the upper room, the day before Jesus' execution, we come to today's scene. Jesus has finished sharing the bread and wine with the disciples. He has washed their feet out of humility and service for others. And then this, Peter denies that he will ever abandon Jesus. We'll skip over a section where Jesus is arrested and immediately put on trial so we can focus on the story of Peter. And that's where we see him put to the test. What will he do? Let's hear the story from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 31 through 35 and 69 through 75. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, 
Truly, I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, after Jesus' arrest, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And from Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let us pray. God, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. As we struggle with the mystery of doubt and guilt, help us to find you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As far as I am concerned, I do not embarrass easily. It takes a lot for me to feel like something that I've done warns feelings uh, of embarrassment. Uh, I, I just don't typically feel flustered like that. I've always believed something like the only person who can make you feel embarrassed is yourself because each of us controls our internal dialogue. What we tell ourselves about a situation leads to how we feel about it. But every once in a while, something happens that just skips right over that internal dialogue. We go straight to embarrassment in the blink of an eye. A few years ago, I was in a room full of teenagers teaching a lesson. I had a computer set up which made my slide show up on the TV in the room. Now you need to know I like technology. I like to play with gadgets and finding new ways to do things, especially if it makes things easier for me. I had a device set up that let me swipe through my slides on my phone so I didn't have to be right at the computer as I taught. What I didn't know is that since my computer was set for my phone to log into that, it also meant that other people could log into my computer. And wouldn't you know, one little whippersnapper decided he was going to do just that. While I led a lesson on the meaning of the baptism of Jesus, he was logged into my computer going through everything on there. At the end of the lesson, I closed our session with the Lord's Prayer, I turned to look on the screen, and there was an old photo of me from college. Couldn't figure out how that had gotten there, but then it quickly changed to another photo of me in my teen years, then a third and a fourth photo, each more embarrassing than the last. Finally, it stopped on a video, and it was a, a brief clip of me falling into a kiddie pool of water while dressed up like Jesus. 
I know it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to them either. So I confess the truth. There are a series of videos on YouTube that are set up in a choose-your-own-adventure format. After each video, you can choose which story you will watch next, one of which ends with Jesus not walking on water, but falling into the water instead. Turns out when someone loads a video onto the internet, you don't have control over it, even if you realize years later it was not a very good idea to make it in the first place. Though the video was meant to be funny, at that point it came off more as sacrilege than as entertainment. I was, as you can imagine, embarrassed. I doubt anyone remembers a word I said about Jesus' baptism on that day. All they likely remember is me falling into that pool of water. I wish I could take it back. I wish I could have happened, uh, made things happen differently. But I have to live with that moment, standing in front of those young people confessing the truth. Now, sometimes instead of embarrassment, we feel shame, which stems from low self-esteem. Feelings of shame and low self-esteem, in turn, can lead to depression and anxiety. That's not good, and that's definitely not what we ever hope for in the church. What we want for people are feelings that can be helpful. Psychologists have found that we feel shame the most when we are teenagers, but those feelings steadily decrease because our personality is set. If we know who we are, we don't worry about breaking norms as much. But then something interesting happens. Usually we think of people as they get older as being absolutely brazen and doing whatever they want. What are people going to do when you're 80 or 90 years old, right? They are who they are. But more often what happens is that we actually start to become more self-conscious as our bodies and our appearance changes in those older years. This increase in feeling self-conscious leads to not simple embarrassment, but to shame. Sometimes we use these words interchangeably, but instead of embarrassment or shame, a more helpful feeling in life is actually guilt. Guilt means there is this moral dimension to our behavior. The focus is on the thing we have done wrong. Shame, on the other hand, emphasizes that I have done something wrong. It's an inward focus that I am a bad person or something is wrong with me. A healthier way to reflect on our actions is about thinking how we can be positively motivated to change, how we can encourage others and make things right. And one of the beautiful aspects of guilt rather than shame is that we actually have plenty of ways in our society to overcome guilt. There's a way forward for you if you see the action you took is wrong and doing things differently is the right course of action. That's exactly what we see with Simon Peter. Let me walk you through it. After the traditional Jewish Passover meal, Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room and go to the Mount of Olives. It is expected that the group will stay the night within the boundaries of Jerusalem for Passover. That's just how you did it back then. And it was also expected that the group would stay up late into the night talking about God's redemption. God will make it right between God and people and among the people, no matter what divides them. And Passover is a night of hope for the future. And around this time, there was a teaching that if anyone in the Passover group fell asleep, the group was thereby dissolved. Jesus told the disciples they would fall away or betray him. And Peter says, no, nah, never, Lord, I wouldn't do that. And just a little later, they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying. He tells his closest disciples to stay with him, and partway through the prayer, he finds that these few disciples have fallen asleep. Not only did they violate the norm of staying awake late into the night on Passover to talk about God, by falling asleep, they have already dissolved the group. 
point number one for feelings of guilt or shame. Then Jesus is arrested on false charges by the religious leaders. As the arrest takes place, Simon Peter realizes that Jesus told them to buy swords. Just before the arrest, the disciples tell Jesus, look, we have two swords, and Jesus says that is enough. Peter, despite all the talk of bearing your cross and serving others, completely misses that Jesus is talking about swords as a metaphor. When the soldiers come to capture Jesus, Peter pulls out the sword and cuts the ear of one of them off. And Jesus is appalled. He says, put that sword back. All who live by the sword will die by the sword. Point number two for feelings of guilt or shame. As Jesus is put on trial, Peter experiences the pinnacle of these feelings. Jesus not only warned Peter that he would betray him, but that it would happen three times that night before the rooster crows. Peter is very brave in even coming to the place where Jesus is on trial. This was the private home of the high priest filled with the temple guards who had just arrested Jesus. Even Peter's association with Jesus could be enough to have him arrested. As Jesus is inside answering for his supposed crimes, Peter is identified three times as the follower of Jesus, and each time he denies it. On the final one, he swears an oath, denying that he knows Jesus. This is very irreligious behavior. Peter is not only denying Jesus, he is acting in a way that is contrary to Judaism and the teachings of Jesus. He's doing exactly what he told Jesus just hours earlier he would never do, disowning his rabbi, his teacher, the master of the last three years. Shame or guilt are inevitable at this point. And Peter, when he hears the rooster crow, remembers what Jesus said. He rushes outside and weeps bitterly. His betrayal of Jesus is complete. A few years ago, I had a chance to spend some time in Raleigh, North Carolina with my family. My brother-in-law had just moved down there, so we found this great little rental on a farm and stayed for a few weeks. The boys loved feeding the goats and horses, and my wife Emily and I loved that we were supporting a farm that was actually a ministry. These animals weren't just for show. They were therapy animals to help those who had different ailments. It was a great trip, and one day we decided to take a tour of the city. We were on one of those old-fashioned trolley buses with a tour guide pointing out different sites. At one point, he stopped the trolley and told us to look out the window and up high. We had to get real low to see the this top of the steeple of the church we were next to. The church was one of the first built in the whole city, and at the very top was a rooster weather vane. He asked if anyone knew why the church had a rooster up there, and it felt like for a moment every single person on the trolley turned and looked at me. I could hear their unspoken thoughts, come on pastor, we know you have the answer, but I kept silent. Later Emily asked me if I knew why it was up there, and I said, I think Simon Peter? That was my best guess and the only story I could even think of in the Bible that had a rooster in it. Turns out that's exactly why the ancient Catholic tradition, which explains why this pro Protestant didn't know the answer to it, why the rooster was up there. It is a powerful symbol of this awful moment where Peter realizes he is guilty, but it is also a symbol of Peter's repentance. His tears after denying Jesus signal that he knows he is wrong. He needs to move in a new direction with different behavior as he feels this sense of guilt that will help him go to change. Now compare that to Judas Iscariot. We haven't mentioned him, but he's this other disciple of Jesus, and uh, he betrays Jesus as well to those religious leaders. 
Without him, the leaders wouldn't have been able to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. Jesus was so popular among the people, the religious leaders would not have been able to do this task during the daytime. Judas, after the betrayal at night, realizes, just like Peter, that he was wrong. But one way to understand this is that he doesn't feel guilt to repent and change his behavior. He feels shame. He is so focused on himself, not the actions that he took. It's me, 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 not how can I change to benefit others, not how can a different response from me help the world. Judas is so often his thinking it leads to his suicide. It's tragic. What we learn here is that this is uh, that God is not standing in judgment over you, shaming you for whatever is in your past. God desires repentance that leads to making up for the past. We know we've all had moments where we've been like Simon Peter. We've all wronged others. We've all hurt someone and regretted it. God doesn't want to shame you for that forever and ever. God wants you to see a better way and live a better life. This week, our confirmation class met, and we've been going through the story of someone who had a lot of pain and suffering in their life. It's about a man named Bart Millard who wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine, which would become the most played song in Christian radio history and the best-selling Christian song of all time. The study connected to the movie of the same name was all about forgiveness. Bart's father was in a car accident when he was a young child, and the accident led to these absolutely uncontrollable outbursts of rage by Bart's father. Bart was beaten repeatedly by his dad throughout his childhood. The saving grace in his life was his relationship with God. He would write and sing about the love and mercy of Jesus. Years later, his father was diagnosed with cancer. Bart still wouldn't forgive him, though. His dad wrote letters explaining what was happening, and Bart just threw them right in the trash. But eventually, he decided to return home. The pain of that broken relationship was eating away at him. And what Bart discovered about his father was unbelievable. Because of Bart, his dad started studying the Bible. He read it over and over, trying to understand the right way to live. Somehow his dad began to be healed of his traumatic brain injury. Instead of unabated rage, his father was now full of love. The years of hurt and abuse began to melt as together they tried to live in right relationship with one another. When Bart's dad finally died of cancer, he wrote the song, I can only imagine about what it would be like for his father to be in heaven with Jesus. The lyrics begin, I can only imagine what it would be like when I walk by your side. What would it look like for all of us to be forgiven, for all of us to be made right? I can only imagine. In our confirmation class, we had some good discussion about what forgiveness should look like. I praise God for Bart's healed relationship with his father, but it's much easier to forgive when the person in the wrong changes. I asked them, what about people who don't change? Do you forgive them? Do you let go of those burdens? And the answer was quick, no, don't forgive them. They have to change first. And I hope you aren't too surprised by that. That is the common answer for young people. That is our natural human impulse to hold on to our hurt, to demand that others change, not us. But I think Jesus points us in another direction. Jesus reminds us that second chances abound. 
that forgiveness is always available, that any moment of our lives could be the moment that God moves powerfully in a person's life to bring healing and restoration. Our job is not to demand that others change to conform to our standards, but that we always stand ready to repent for our wrongs. Our sin always contributes to broken relationships. We always have a role to play in how we relate to others. We may not be able to force others to change, but we can always improve on our end, conforming our lives to the health and wholeness God desires for all of us. You know, sometimes really phenomenal spiritual ideas can be found in unexpected places. I think this quote from Steve Jobs sums up a way to help us think through this. He says, Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. And as Christians, we know what is truly important is not our money or our fame or, or how we look or how tough we are. What truly matters is our love for God and for each other. And if we cannot forgive, we cannot love well. Simon Peter's tears after the rooster crowed was the beginning of repentance. It was the first step in a journey back to God. We'll hear more about that next week, but just like Peter, we are called to be made right with God and with each other. Don't hold on to the bitterness and hurt. Let go so that God's love might fill you to overflowing. It's the second chance God offered to Peter. It's the second chance God offers to you and me. And it's the second chance God offers to the whole world. Say yes to it today that you might love others as God loves you. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.